welcome to Pod Warriors number 17. We got a very special episode on deck for you guys. It's going to be a ton of fun. Me and Jordan are going to be discussing the life and times of WCW Thunder. Jordan, what is up, my man? Oh, man, just uh, ready to talk some wrestling again. It uh, it, it feels like we're, we always have like a couple months between these episodes, but it really hasn't been that long. It just feels like it has because life's been so damn busy lately. Yeah, we're busy, man. Being full-time jobs and full-time dads, it is not a uh, not a lot of free time for just kind of like brainstorming ideas for this. So I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy we've been able to crank out 17 episodes of this in addition to the, uh, you know, the flagship Chick Foley show over the last year and change now. But this one's going to be a ton of fun. This I, I got to give Jordan all the credit. He had the idea for this one, and I jumped on it. You know, the, the, the mid to late 90s is really kind of our sweet spot for wrestling nostalgia, so... We definitely want to take this trip down memory lane. Uh, we'll get the plugs out of the way real quick. Make sure you guys check out all of our homies in the Pod Foundation, the Extra Cooler Show, Turnbuckle Tavern, and Coming Down the Aisle with our buddy J-Bone. And use code Chick Foley to save 10% at Ringside Collectibles. This is probably going to be the lightest figure discussion uh, episode that we've had. I think you know we'll, we'll touch on some stuff in listener mail, but not a lot of figure talk. Not a lot of iconic figures came out of the WCW Thunder scene. Um, Jordan, you got anything else you want to discuss, man, before we just dive into it? No, I'm ready to go. All right. So I think we're going to kick it off with, uh, Jordan taking us to school, man. He's putting his professor, uh, you know, his cardigan, his button up sweater on, Mm -hmm. he's got the spectacles on, and he's going to give us a history lesson on the origins of WCW Thursday Thunder. All right. So, uh, original release of WCW Thunder was January 8th, 1998. The swan song was March 21st of 2001. Kind of crazy, man. It only made it three years, but WCW went under, as we know, in 2001. So, um, sucks, though. Uh, So, the popularity of WCW Nitro led Ted Ted Turner to want to create a new show, which would eventually be named Thunder, as we talked about. Um, Eric Bischoff was originally reluctant to produce another two-hour weekly show for a variety of reasons. Uh, one was um, they were in a hiring freeze, and which would prevent Bischoff from bringing in any new talent. Uh, second, he felt they did not have enough talent on the roster to produce a second show. And third, according to Bischoff, TBS refused to pay the cost of producing Thunder, which was between twelve and fifteen million dollars a year. Uh, I think that hiring freeze was due to the uh, the Time Warner merger also, yep. man, which was, you know, really that was kind of the death knell for WCW. As bad as it got towards the end, they were still doing really good numbers compared to everything else on on cable, but Time Warner just wanted nothing to do with the wrestling business. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, this is one thing, I mean, I, I obviously knew about this, but at the time I didn't. Uh, Bischoff was also given permission to sign Bret Hart specifically as the high profile talent to perform on Thunder. So Thunder was, uh, was being built around Bret Hart. There's worse people to build a show around. Um, it originally debuted as a live weekly show, but the schedule was changed in August of 1998 due to complaints by wrestlers over travel demands. Tapings were expanded to four hours with the first two hours being the live broadcast and the following week being a two hour tape show. Uh, first match ever on Thunder featured Chris Adams against Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth in his corner. <laughs> the gentleman Chris Adams, man, his name does not come up a lot in uh, wrestling nowadays, but he has had a big, big impact on the wrestling biz. He's the one who trained Stone Cold Steve Austin. He had his own wrestling school there in the Dallas area, so he trained and broke 
you know, a legend like Steve Austin into the business. And he was the originator of the super kick. He's the one who really kind of introduced the super kick as a, uh, as a finish in wrestling. And that's who Shawn Michaels learned it from. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of cool, man. He didn't have much of a memorable run in WCW at all, but it, it is pretty neat that, you know, he's kind of at this historic footnote now. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's pretty nuts. Just kind of thinking back on thunder. Um, just kind of remembering what what you thought of it. There is one thing that me and you have talked about numerous times about Thunder, and until yesterday, I did not realize I was wrong on this. Um, so Glacier, we've talked about this numerous times about Glacier, uh, the countdown and stuff on Thunder. That was incorrect. He debuted long before Thunder was ever a thing. He debuted in 1996, so... Man, was I misremembering that. I thought the entire show was <laughs> built around him debuting. So, Well, you know, the Thunder had the Glacier uh, color scheme, man. You know, it had the uh, the blues. Dude, you know what's crazy to me, man, about Thunder? Anytime Thunder pops up in my mind, I think about that set that they only had, I think, the first two or three weeks. You, If you remember that, that debut set, it looked like the fucking aggro crag from Nickelodeon Guts. You yeah. remember it was like a mountain or like slash like iceberg type deal. And I, in my mind, that was the set the entire time for Thunder. But if you go back, that was only the set for like the first month or so before they switched to something that looked kind of like sleek, futuristic. It looked like basically uh, an evolution of the the WCW Saturday Night Spaceship set. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's kind of weird to go back and watch that because, yeah, I have that in my head, too, for some reason, that that was always the set. And then going back and watching it. But I don't know, man. I, I think, like, in my head, I was thinking Thunder was way better than it actually was just because I love WCW at this time. I mean, 98 WCW was, I mean, it, it was pretty high up the list for me. So I, I guess I just, for some reason, thought this was better than what it was. But we're going to talk about some moments off Thunder and man, watching these, I was like, oh God, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I definitely look back at it with the rose colored glasses. And honestly, I think it was just the excitement, man. Like I said, in late 97, because it, it, it wasn't a whole lot of lead time when this got announced for it started airing. I want to say it was like actually December of 97 before they really started promoting and advertising it. And you couldn't tell, you know, 12 year old me that this wasn't going to be incredible man like okay i i'm so i already have nitro and raw on mondays and now i'm gonna have thunder on thursday nights like this is awesome dude it's more live wrestling you know and i i think maybe i enjoyed it more because half the time i really wasn't sitting down to watch the shows usually i was sitting down and either putting on a, a card with my wrestling figures like at, while thunder's kind of just on the background or i remember i had a friend named rc and my friend trey we were all three um really big wrestling fans. I'm really dating myself now, but we get on like the three way phone calls and just, you know, <laughs> chat wrestling and kind of book the territory while we're watching these shows kind of just in the background, probably only, only half ass paying attention to it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and this was on Thursday nights, so I didn't really have a whole lot going on on Thursday nights when I was 13 years old, much like you. Like, <laughs> I don't think any of us well, did. Like, what, what were we going to do? Like, solve the world's problems? I think we were outside playing basketball or something, then came in and watched Thunder. Because, dude, yeah. if wrestling was on, it was on my TV. I didn't care what it was. I was watching it. Yeah, it's not like I'm going to watch, like, you know, it's Thursday night. It's not like I'm watching fucking Seinfeld instead of WCW Thunder. Like, yeah, this was... It was a very, it was a much bigger part of my childhood than like, now when I look back, like I don't remember hardly any of these moments. Like we're going to get into it in just a sec. Jordan put together a, a really nice curated list of some of the, the biggest moments 
in in Thunder history. And uh, dude, I don't, I damn near don't remember any of them, man. I think out of that list you put on, I think I remember actually two of them watching them live. Yeah, it's uh, when I was putting this list together, I had four on the list that I knew I wanted to put on here. It was a little tough finding three other ones just because. I mean, like we said, as time goes on, things don't always uh, hold up the way that we want them to. And Thunder is definitely one of those things. It is, uh, it's not great. Well, I mean, the problem is, is, dude, WCW was so bad in 2000 and 2001 that, I mean, this is just going to go right along with it. This was the B show for WCW and Nitro wasn't even good at this point. So, yeah, it, it definitely did not hold up very well. Yeah, if you listen to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, he's talked about it numerous times that they were just spread so thin when Thunder got laid on them. They did not want to do it. He, you know, Obviously, we weren't in those those boardrooms, so he could just be covering his own ass now. But he has said repeatedly um, that that Thunder was just a bad idea, and it really weighed him down. And I, I, think, I don't think it caused their downfall. I think you could already start to see some of the cracks in the foundation of WCW, but I think this definitely, um, it, it accelerated things, man, for where it got quality wise. Yeah, it, it definitely took a huge downturn. I mean, some of the, even some of these things we're going to talk about tonight were a pretty big downturn considering what it started as, but still nonetheless, important moments in WCW history. So we're going to run through them with you guys. Hopefully you guys enjoy some of these and you guys can go back and watch them. The good thing about these moments that we're going to talk about, pretty easy to burn through because all of them are about 10 minutes long. So, um, <laughs> And unlike a lot of the old shows out there, every single episode of WCW Thunder is available on Peacock. Yeah, so it makes it really easy to watch. And like I said, the majority of these usually uh, fast forward to the last 15 minutes of the show and you can watch the whole thing. So. <laughs> All right, Jordan, you want to start running us through the list? Yeah, let's. Uh, we're going to go in a little bit different order than I'd sent you, but we'll. Uh, we'll. Yeah, it's dealer's choice, man. You, you, you be the DJ, and we'll just we'll discuss them as as you want to pitch them out. All right, let's start with uh, Macho Man's final appearance on May third of two thousand. Do you have any recollection of this? I do not, man. I was kind of. 2000, I had really given up on WCW, man. The finger poke of doom after that, I kind of just, uh, I kept up with it just kind of at a glance, man. Okay, I'm going to run through a little bit of the highlights of this, and uh, we can just kind of reflect on it after I run through this. So this was a 40-person battle royal for a number one contender spot for the World Heavyweight title at Great American Bash. Uh, this was during the Millionaire's Club versus New Blood era. Um, so... Basically, what happened is here is they put all the members of both of these factions in the ring and did a 40-person battle royal. It's kind of hard to watch because you can't tell when someone gets eliminated or anything happens. Pretty much a big clusterfuck, which was basically WCW in a nutshell. Um, towards the end of the match, the Macho Man comes out. There's a ton of run-ins in this match. Um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes in. There's just a ton of run-ins. Uh, Macho Man comes out at the end looking absolutely jacked to the gills. I, I think he was really on the diesel roids at this point. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was getting ready for bone saw. Dude, the crowd goes absolutely insane, though, when he comes out. It, it is pretty cool seeing him because, I mean, this was – obviously, this was near the end of his wrestling run, so the the amount of appearances he had left on his card were, were pretty low. So, um, 
Brett also comes out at the end of this match to screw Hogan, hits him with a steel chair. Absolutely wild battle royal. Flair wins the match with a wild bat swing on Shane Douglas. Um, yeah, it kind of sucks that this is the way Macho Man <laughs> goes out for WCW. Uh, but, I mean, nonetheless, it's still... The whole thing's kind of whack, man. I uh, It is kind of cool, though, that it did end up with him and Hulk helping each other out, dude. For all the... All the ups and downs, the makeups and breakups of that friendship. It, if you know, I'm, I'm trying to put the most positive spin possible on Thunder for this episode because I do want, um, I, you know, I do want our listeners, man, the, the Foley fam, to to go back and uh, and check some of this stuff out and you know, kind of experience it for themselves if they weren't around to watch this or if they just didn't watch it back in the day. If I had to put one positive thing on this, it would be that, you know, Macho Man's last appearance was him helping Hulk out. And that's a pretty fitting ending, um, you know, if you eliminate all the rest of the nonsense around this whole thing. Yeah, the the craziest thing about this. So, like I said, it was Millionaire's Club versus New Blood. The final four people in this rumble are from the Millionaire's Club, Hogan and Flair. From the New Blood, it was Shane Douglas and Billy Kidman. Christ almighty, what are we doing here? Like, that should never be the final four in any Royal Rumble. Flair and Hogan are fine. The other two, I'm not sure what we're doing, especially in 2000. The the New Blood versus the Millionaire's Club was so weird to me because the Millionaire's Club were the baby faces, man. Yeah. Like, they it, they had it backwards, dude. The New Blood should have been booked as the faces coming up against the, you know, the, the evil, you know, older generation holding them down, but... I don't. I can't remember, man. If it was creative, did that, or if it was just the fans organically just rejected the new blood as baby faces, man. But it's definitely a weird dynamic. It, even though like the crowd was pretty hot for the moment, um, it's. It, I, I can't imagine that it, it was. You, you could just tell it's just not good for for the long term creative future for for WCW, man. It was so hokey too, the way they film it with, you know, showing Macho Man's feet, right? You only see from like the shin down. It's like, who is this guy walking towards the ring? We got like five or six clips of it. And then finally, when he comes out, you know, you see Mach in all his glory. So Macho Man's always going to be cool. I think, you know, Team Madness or whatever he was, going, whatever his like faction was that, that last couple years in WCW, that's probably my least favorite version of macho man out of all his various gimmicks but uh you know it's still the macho man randy savage yeah it, this is not something you want to remember him by more or less just because like you said the macho madness or whatever the hell they called that team it just it was not good um but again i mean dude we had to sneak macho man into a seven list for uh his final appearance in wcw so um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it just because getting to see Macho Man is cool at this point. And I mean, dude, again, this was 2000. It's not like any of these guys are young at this point. So, and dude, he did Bonesaw, and I think he had one or two appearances for TNA that never went anywhere. They were literally just one, you know, one shots. And that was it, man. Macho Man kept such a low profile up until his untimely death. Like, we did not see him, man. He wasn't. He wasn't really doing the cons. He wasn't doing any nostalgia runs, showing up for like raw reunions on WWE. He was just gone when his time was up, man. So, yeah, this was one of the really one of the last handful of glimpses we got of Macho Man. Bro, he was in a um, TNA pay per view, and he was actually in the match. I- I'm I'm only saying he was in the match because he was physically there mentally and everything else he was not there he was balding really bad it it was just horrible dude (laughs) don't ever go back and watch it i mean i watched it live and it was like one of the worst things i think i've ever seen 
All right. Well, let's move to the next one. This will be even more exciting than the last one. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to, this is a, and this is going to be kind of crazy to think about how many of these they did. Uh, this is a world title match from May 24th of 2000. It was Kevin Nash versus Scott Steiner versus the champion, Jeff Jarrett. Um, my notes on this match, Jarrett coming out in one of the greatest wrestling shirts ever. Uh, accompanied by Vince Russo. If you remember this era, this was, was when slap he, nuts, yeah, right? Yeah, this was all about the slap nuts era. So uh, he had some badass pyro in the ring too. This was not when he was doing the pyro out of his guitar yet, but it's, it's still really cool seeing him um, this way. Uh, the match starts with Nash chasing Russo into the crowd. Hot start right off the bat. Um, so. Then Nash finally gets back into the middle of the ring. This is not a good match, by the way. There's not a whole lot of uh, technical wrestling in this match. Then during the match, about three minutes later, Rick Steiner and Tank Abbott come out and take Scott Steiner's girls, Shakira and Medasia, to the back. So Scott (laughs) Steiner runs off and is out of the match. Then Vince Russo comes out with his security um, to keep another ref from getting into the ring we'll get back to that best part of this whole moment's coming up all right here's your peak wcw russo interferes Jarrett hits nash with a bat nash knocks the ref down on a whiff then russo hits the ref with a guitar takes the ref shirt off slides it around his neck tries to come into the match and just fast count nash for the pin Scott Steiner comes back into the ringside area and clotheslines every member of the (laughs) security team. Dude, you got to do it justice, dude. The security team are lined up like in two ranks, right? They look like like if you go back and watch the 90s Super Bowls when they would announce like the starting offense and they'd all come out high-fiving like a, in a tunnel. That's what it is. And all the guys just stay there perfectly lined up as Scott Steiner just runs out double clothesline. He clotheslines two at a time, probably about fucking eight deep on his way to the ring. It's just ridiculous, dude. So bad. Uh, anyway, it ends when Nash hits the jackknife power bomb on Jarrett for the one, two, three. The most asinine part of this whole match is so, and I know Steiner and Nash were working together, but Steiner comes back into the ring after clotheslining everybody. And rather than him try to get the pin on Jarrett, he just chases Russo out of the ring so Nash can win. Yeah, and then him and Nash celebrate like it was a handicap match or something. I mean, th- Scott Steiner was the U.S. champion at this point, so whatever, I get it. But this was an yeah. eight-minute match, and all that stuff we just talked about happened in that eight minutes. It was absolutely insane. That is some, Russo, that that is is some absolute best or worst, depending on your perspective. That is some peak WCW right there. If you want to know why WCW died... Um, th- this match is a pretty big indicator of why it died. Vince Russo, yeah, that just was just that was what, what they were doing. That late era WCW just cramming ten pounds of shit into a five pound bag. Man, it's like you can't even keep up with it. They're swerves for swerves' sake, and it's like it was just like nothing mattered, right? It was just fucking nonsense. I mean, yeah, we'll get into it once we discuss all the matches, but th- there is numerous title changes for a world title with a ton of lineage. Pretty embarrassing, honestly. I'm pretty sure yeah. Jared had just won this title less than a month before this and then loses oh, yeah. it on a random thunder in the middle of May. Like, what the... F- like, how did anyone think that this was a good idea? Like, this is what... 
idiot fans would book if they were like, oh man, I, I don't really like seeing a long champion. Let's have uh let's have Seth Rollins pin Roman Reigns on a Sunday night heat episode or something. <laughs> like, dude, it, this is just all over the place. And I think this was the the problem with WCW and what eventually killed it. So you got any more to reflect on this match, Seth? It was like I said, man, it it's comedy now. Like if you go back, like I said, that I was I literally giggled out loud, man. I was actually at work, you know, I was supposed to be paying attention to a conference call. I was on online, um, but I just had my mic on mute and was watching these clips on YouTube. And I literally giggled out loud at the part where Scott Steiner is coming out and just handing out clotheslines <laughs> on the way down the ramp, dude. It it is good. It's got some comedy value, but and it it's not horrible to watch it as like a one-off, right? Cause it is, you know, it's short, right? Like Jordan said, it's less than a 10 minute watch and there's always some shit going on, right? Like there's, it, there's no, there's no down points. It's always some kind of crazy thing happening during this eight minutes. Um, but I just kind of put myself back. If I'm like that hardcore WCW fan, you know, I go, I, I've mentioned him before a lot, dude, my pap all Clyde couldn't give a fuck less about WWF, man. He was all about NWA WCW back in the day. And I just put myself in somebody's shoes that was still invested in this product that had this rich history going back to the freaking 60s. And they're watching it week in and week out. And this is what they're putting on the TV. This is the reward for all the time you're investing in this product. And it's just it's just kind of sad because literally, you know, three or four years prior, man, they were hit the highest of highs is in the wrestling biz. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty depressing to watch honestly from a big company. Um this is something you would expect from I don't even know what company. Some outlaw Mud Show, man. Your local your local indie or something, man. Yeah, like a fucking Vaseline match for the title or something. Like that, <laughs> that that's basically what I equate some of this to. It's just it's so bad. For no reason, like there's so many good people in this company. They at this had some point. serious talent, yeah, dude. The roster was still loaded, man. It wasn't where it was in like '98, but the roster was still loaded with talent at this time, dude. It's Nash versus Jeff Jarrett versus Scott Steiner. All three of those guys could have main evented any WCW show at this point, and it was just like a clown show. Like there's there's really nothing else you can compare it to. I mean, it literally is just a clown show. Russo inserts himself in every segment at this point i mean he was involved i don't think he's involved in every match well he definitely wasn't involved in every match on this list that i went over but he's involved in a lot of stuff at this point and yeah it just goes to show you if you know russo had some really good creative ideas he really laid the groundwork for some of the best stuff that happened in the attitude era but he needed that filter he needed somebody checking him and keeping him you know, kind of within the within the margins. That was Vince McMahon, right? Like Russo would tee up the ideas, and then Vince and and Pat Patterson kind of okay them and and refine them and stuff. You know, but WCW, he just had carte blanche, man, to do what he wanted. It, it'd be it'd be like if if Sheena wasn't a part of the Chick Foley show anymore, and it was just me and Jordan making it up from week to week, man. Like, yeah, we'd go to some some strange dark places if it was just the two of us every week. It'd be dead. Let's let's just <laughs> let's just call it for what it is. People like the pod wears because we've advertised this as this is what we're gonna do here. Like people tune into this because they know we're gonna go off the rails at least once <laughs> an episode. There's there's no question about it. If we were doing this on the on the flagship, it would have been dead a long time ago. 
I, I don't think it'd be dead. I'm not going to sell us that short. I think we could put together some quality pods on a consistent basis. <laughs> I think we would slowly have an entirely different listener base, though. <laughs> I think we would all the all the normal Chick Foley show diehards would slowly tune out, and we'd attract a new cast of weirdos who were coming in week after week <laughs> to see what we spit out. <laughs> yeah, probably right. That sounds that sounds about something that me and you would do. So um, next, we're gonna go to. Another thing WCW loved to do, the Goldberg Monster Truck Madness in 2000. (laughs) Why are there so many monster trucks involved in the history of WCW? I I don't know. They were really leaning into that uh, the monster truck thing. I mean, we talked about the giant thing and all that stuff before, but dude, WCW had Vince Russo must have loved monster trucks when he was a little kid or something because, man. They really leaned into everything. Goldberg had his own monster truck. It's just absolutely wild to look back on. So this starts off. They're in the arena. Scott Steiner throws Rick Steiner and Tank Abbott onto the monster truck. First of all, let's talk about the fact that Rick Steiner and Tank Abbott are a team at this point. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, good God. Rick Steiner (laughs) is being thrown with Tank Abbott. The one-time three-count member, Tank Abbott. like Vince Russo had a soft spot for Tank Abbott. Remember, there was a lot of rumors at the time. He was really wanting to make Tank Abbott world champ. So the problem with this one is there's not a ton of footage here, which probably is a good thing. But the monster truck heads to the parking lot out of the arena. The truck then smashes a bunch of cars in the parking lot, including what we're supposed to believe is Tank Abbott and Rick Steiner's cars. (laughs) I mean, there's not a whole lot to discuss in this, just the mere fact that they were doing this on a weekly episode of Thunder. Like, And and this was not the only time they brought Goldberg's monster truck into a Thunder episode. Like, I'm pretty sure this happened on Nitro, too, if I'm remembering right. Like, They loved using Goldberg's monster truck. Yeah, they were always getting Goldberg involved in some sort of vehicular mayhem. I remember the uh, the night of the finger poke of doom. Remember, he damn near had to get his arm amputated from the elbow down when he he busted through that um, that limousine window. And of course, in true WCW fashion, they didn't take the time or didn't have anybody on staff to kind of gimmick the glass. He just straight up put his arm through straight up limo window glass, man. So, yeah, they definitely had a uh, fascination on the uh, the vehicular chaos on the uh, during those last few years. It was really great. You ready to take the beverage break? I'm ready. I had to let that one play a little bit longer than usual. So it's time for the beverage break where we tell you guys what we're sipping on as we pod. Uh, I'll go first. I'm doing the uh, the basic thing, but with a twist, drinking Miller Lite, you know, basically the unofficial official beer of the Chick Foley show. Uh, but it's not my typical 12 ounce can, man. I, I sent Jordan these a couple weeks ago. I went down to Texas for work and was able to find the, uh, the Luke Combs Beer Never Broke My Heart 16 ounce cans. I don't know if it's just like a placebo effect, if it's in my mind, but I'm telling you, dude, I love the 16-ounce cans of Miller Lite. You're able to top off that pint glass with them, and they just hit a little bit better, man. I can never find them here in Tennessee. There was a little convenience store right down the street from me in uh, in Virginia. I could literally ride my bike down there and get a six-pack of the Tall Boy cans. 
Um, but but can't find them around here down down here in the south, man. But I was able to go down to Texas and pick up a twelve pack of these. So yeah, definitely love drinking the uh, the the sixteen ounce Miller Lite cans. What are you sipping on, Jordan? I am sipping on a limited edition Bush Light Peach. And boy, oh boy, is this the drink of summer. Um, I don't know. Did you ever have Bushlight Apple, Seth? I had Bushlight Apple. It was pretty good, man. I, I I didn't mind it. I think this is a touch better than that, honestly. And man, when it's hot outside, these beers go down like freaking water. That's the problem when you drink Bushlight in general. But add a little bit of peach flavoring to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's top notch. Yeah, it makes total sense. I could totally see peach bush peach complimenting bushlight because bushlight's got such a you know, pardon the pun, light flavor to it, anyways. And I think a little bit of peach complements a little bit better. Like the apple was was kind of strong, man. It was almost like drinking fucking you know, it was almost like a hard cider. I mean, you definitely taste taste the peach flavoring in this, but I don't think it's as heavy as the apple was. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I'm gonna be on the lookout, man. I usually got to get my special bush cans. Up in Kentucky, dude, for, you know, the, you know where I'm at here, Jordan. I'm out here in the sticks, dude. And we're in like, like Tennessee, even more so than Kentucky is like the freaking buckle of the Bible belt. Like there's restrictions on beer you can get on Sundays and stuff. And I think it just turns off a lot of distributors from even messing with it down here. Like I hardly ever see any of the special edition bush cans. So I may have to tell my dad to keep an eye out for the, uh, the bush peach up in Kentucky to grab me some. Cause I definitely want to try it. Um, so yeah, keep a lookout for that, man. Bushlight, it's just you know, it's delicious, dude. That's that's like definitely the most crushable beer. Even though Miller Lite's my go-to as far as like you know big time mainstream beers go, like if I was in like a beer drinking contest, you know, like I gotta I gotta see how many beers I can drink in an hour. I'm going Bushlight for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a crushable beer. Um, so Seth played the Wolfpack theme as our beverage break today, which is a great lead into this moment on May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety eight. The NWO Wolfpack theme debuted. Um, to me, I and I don't know how Seth feels about this, but this is one of the top three wrestling themes ever for me. I, I love this song. I probably don't go top three. It's definitely one of my favorite, though, man. I, I love this song. I love the Wolfpack, dude. Even though, like, looking back, like, it's it would really be hard to explain, like, why the Wolfpack was even a thing and why people like Sting and Lex Luger joined up with it. But at the time, it was the coolest thing ever, dude. Like, I love the freaking Wolfpack angle. They were the hottest thing in wrestling. It was really kind of the the last time WCW caught caught fire before, you know, between that and Goldberg was really the last two kind of kind of fading, like, you know, hot streaks for WCW before they really just burn out. Um but yeah, dude, the Wolfpack was awesome. And then this, when this theme came out, it just took it to a whole another level. Like, I cannot believe this debuted on Thunder. When you sent this in, when you put the list together, I was so surprised. Like, I would have told you, you know, with anything on the line that, that no, the Wolfpack theme debuted on Nitro. But no, it was right there on, uh, on Thunder, man. I went back and watched the clip. First time we heard Sea Murder, from, you know, No Limit Soldier, uh, rapping the Wolfpack to the ring. So, like, the, the craziest thing about this is to, this was the the week they were trying to get Sting to join the Wolfpack. Luger had just joined the Wolfpack. Um, dude, yeah, the, the Wolfpack as a whole is is easily one of my favorites. And I know everybody rips on um, Tomato Face Sting, but, dude, I loved that Sting. I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just weird. Right. But- it was so cool because it was just something different, man. I mean, he'd been just black and white Sting 
for, you know, basically two years. And the thing was like, yeah, he changed the face paint to red, but he also went back to acting like Surfer Sting. When he was Wolfpack Sting, aside from the look, his demeanor and the way he talked on the mic and, you know, hell, even the way he wrestled was Surfer Sting. Yeah, and he even wore like uh, one of those like puka necklaces that everybody used to wear when we were in like middle school when he went back, when he went to Tomato Face Sting. So, yeah, he definitely embraced the surfer role, so... (laughs) I lo- dude, I love it. I, I <laughs> what all the fuck boys were wearing back exactly, in '98. Exactly. I I loved Wolfpack, and yeah, uh, yeah. This this theme just hits for me. But yeah, dude, yeah, it does. It holds up. And you said like going back and watching it, like it seemed like Tanay and Shivani had no idea that this was even happening either. Like the Wolfpack is already walking to the ring, and I don't even remember what they were talking about, but they're like. Oh, let's take a listen to the new Wolfpack theme. I guess we're getting that right now, basically. It just seemed like they just started <laughs> doing it. Nobody had any idea. And then Nash starts. Yeah, it, it was so WCW. When Nash gets to the ring, he's like, I know we want to listen to that whole song, but I got something to say. <laughs> it was great. They, yeah, they. it was just, it was the best, dude. Wolfpack was just a moment. Like I said, it's hard to hard to make it hold, you know, hold up as far as like logic wise goes, man. With with you know, in kayfabe, like why was this? I guess you could you could kind of do the NWO splitting down the middle, but why were these people who had been Team WCW the whole time suddenly joining up with the NWO? You know, and, and it burned out pretty quick. Like, and the, the Wolfpack didn't last a real long time, but it was such a moment. And like, you know, if I was buying an NWO shirt right now, I'd buy the black and red, dude. I remember in school, all all the cool people were with the black and red. It was only the fucking jabronis who were we're still, you know, with the black and white NWO. That's because the the black and white was like the hated NWO. Like you weren't supposed to like those guys. Like WCW and all the good guys were against NWO black and white. Like NWO black and red. I don't hate anybody in that group. Like dude, I liked all those people. Conan was awesome. Kevin Nash was awesome. Luger, take him or leave him. Sting. I mean, dude, what's not to like about that? Like that's the kind of group Macho you Man, bro. You you didn't oh, yeah, mention Macho, Macho Man. Jeez, Macho was in the idiot. Wolfpack. Yeah, man. I, I love the Wolfpack, dude. I'm down with the red and black. For life. For life. All right. That leads us into our next world title match. This one took place on January 26th, 2000. Sid Vicious defeats Big Ron. Seth, what's your favorite <laughs> Big Ron match? Uh, it's good. You know, I actually have a favorite Big Ron match. All right. WrestleMania 11, the Blue Brothers with Uncle Zeb take on the Allied Powers, Davy Boy Smith and Lex Luger, dude. That's my favorite Big Ron match. Uh, and Kevin Nash, who was the champion coming into this match. Um, another uh, real WCW moment here. So Sid had the belt stripped from him earlier in the night by Kevin Nash, who was the commissioner, (laughs) and then just anointed himself the champion. So, yeah, real fucking solid start here, boys. Oh, God. All right. This match was dubbed as Cage Heat, which was Hell in a Cell. (laughs) I love that they didn't even try to hide it. It was a total (laughs) ripoff, dude. They were like, all right, they got Hell in a Cell. We're going to do our own cage with a roof on it. Like, what can we do, man? It's hell in the cell. Like, let's like that's like if you spit into like fucking chat GPT nowadays. Like, give me another name for hell in the cell. Like, it would spit out caged heat. Like, I don't know, just, dude. Caged heat, caged heat doesn't give me like the hell in a cell vibes. It gives me more like a, it's 100 degrees outside and you're fucking holding in a fart on a warm day. Like, that's caged heat to me. 
when I hear cage teeth, I'm picturing like a BDSM porno, dude. Like some fucking <laughs> oh blonde with big old tits fucking strapped down in a cage, dude. Like that's what I hear when I hear cage heat. Uh, if you guys have not learned yet, this is a R-rated promotion. Oh, yeah. The Pod Warriors. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't let the kids listen along with uh, with, with Pod Warriors. Which, you know, Jake Foley's show has been, we've been pushing the uh, the envelope here lately, dude. It's, 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 I'd say it's a soft R. We used to be like a hard PG-13 on the regular show, but it's a soft R now. We're, yeah, we're, we're NC-17 over here, man. <laughs> dude. Do not let your kids listen. We'll, we'll put a disclaimer in the show notes. <laughs> All right. So this match is going on in the cage, obviously, to keep the NWO members out, which, okay, it's already a two-on-one against Sid. So I don't think we need to get any more NWO members out here. So Sid's just getting pummeled the entire match. It's just two-on-one. Um, Sid has to pin Kevin Nash. Oh, yeah, to add to the bullshit, Sid has to pin Kevin Nash to win, and he cannot use the power bomb to win. Um, so basically this is just Sid getting the crap kicked out of him for, it's about 10 minutes. And then Sid out of nowhere grabs Nash, puts him in a cross face and wins. And it, <laughs> Pretty like, nice cross face, dude. It was a good cross You would think, yeah, when you think like technical submissions, you don't think Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid, Sid Justice, whatever you want to call him. It's a pretty damn good looking cross face though, man. I'm not going to lie. That was the one thing, you know, it, when I went back and watched this, it was hard for me to get past the mental block of seeing one of the Blue Brothers or, you know, Skull and Chains from, uh, or Skull and Eight Ball from DOA, seeing them in a world title match. But once I could get past that and just watch it, I was really, really impressed with that crossface that uh, the Big Sid locked on. Yeah, my, my other note for this match was I, I really got nothing to say about it because, I mean, literally it's Sid getting beat on for eight to ten minutes and then he just pulls Kevin Nash to the ground and straps on a cross face on him. Uh, Flair comes out to the ramp to clap for Sid. They said it was like a passing of the torch, but I mean, what torch were they passing at this point? Yeah, they were trying to pump Sid up there at the end to make him like the guy. But, you know, obviously we know it ended with him snapping his leg damn near in half. Um, Some guys can't I'm hold big- the weight. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> I am a big Sid fan, dude. I think Sid's a little bit on the underrated side as far as, Big man go like obviously if you're looking for work rate that's not him but dude had an incredible look and a ton of just natural charisma without doing a whole lot so I, I'm a Sid guy where where are you at historically with uh with Sid dude I I love Sid um I think Psycho Sid was one of the best characters they had in WWF at the time I feel like they underused him um I know he was in title matches and stuff but I, I felt like Sid could have been the top guy in the company for a long time. Um, but yeah, dude, I, I love Sid. I think he's awesome. The whole master ruler of the world thing. I, dude, the dude kind of scared the shit out of you without trying to scare the shit out of you. He's the- intense, bro. Well, obviously he was fucking, you know, just ripped, man. He was taller than Hogan, but he was just, you know, muscles stacked to the fucking rafters, dude. And he had those real piercing blue eyes and, you know, he had the kind of whisper voice when you do his fucking promos, man. Like, yeah, he was... Sid was cool, dude. In WWE's defense, he definitely had that um, that ultimate warrior, like super unreliable kind of deal going. Maybe that's what ultimately yeah. held him back from reaching his full potential. But I like Sid, man. Go back and watch some 95, 96 Sid. Uh, you, you won't be disappointed, especially if you can catch some of the promos, man. Some of the matches can be a slog depending on who he's working with. But, but really, really cool, dude. I just, like I said, man, I couldn't get past fucking... Even if they're just in there as like being lackeys for Kevin Nash, like dude, the fucking Harris brothers are in the main event scene in WCW. I just, 
I was never in on them, dude. I actually like them best as the again the Blue Brothers, like the Hillbillies. Like, wait, if you could get one uh, Ron Harris figure, what do you want? Do you want you know Ron and Don from WCW? Do you want um, Skull and Eight Ball, or do you want uh, or do you want the Blue Brothers? I'm not gonna lie to you. It'd be it'd be a toss up between the Blue Brothers and Skull and Eight Ball because I kind of did like Skull and Eight Ball. I got a, a soft spot for them, but. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would want Skull and Eight Ball if I could get the whole DOA. If I could get Crush, Chains, and Skull and Eight Ball, yeah, I'm in on that. If I'm only getting, if I could only get the tag team though, I'd go Blue Brothers just because I think they're a little bit more toyetic. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, just again. So the the first match we talked about was May 24th of 2000. This was a month earlier, or sorry, three months earlier, and there was two title changes in the same night, three in a week. Like, dude, it, it's really, really hard to stick up for WCW when you're talking about shit like this. Like, pretty <laughs> yeah, embarrassing, pretty honestly. And this this isn't the worst world championship related event we're going to talk about, you know, we're gonna, as, as a little tease for the rest of the episode. All right. So next we're going to go with this is a sad moment to me, honestly. And uh, I had to put this in here. So. It is Bret Hart's final appearance on Thunder on September 6th of 2000. Dude, this would be his last appearance on, you know, mainstream pro wrestling television for pretty much 10 years, man. Dude, this is um, if you want to watch Bret in his, um, well, all the announcers are calling it his crybaby phase. But dude, this is like, this is Bret unleashing everything that he had inside yes, him. Yes, dude. This, he's shooting, man. Oh, yeah. There, there is, there's clearly no no script he's going off here. So I'm going to give you guys some of the highlights. Um, he comes out, asks, what the hell happened to wrestling? Um, talks about how he's the greatest professional wrestler in wrestling history. Says that all that has happened since he got WCW is he's gotten screwed over. This is how you know it's not scripted. He talks about the WWF and brings up Austin, Taker, and Vince by name in the promo. Um, They showed the footage of the kick from Goldberg that ended his career. And then Brett just literally lays a mountain of shit on Goldberg in this match. (laughs) Or in this promo. Goldberg finally comes out to kind of just stick up for himself. Says that he had remorse and feels for Brett. Also says Brett was his favorite growing up. To which Brett replies, basically, I don't give a shit. Um, Brett just keeps talking. Goldberg finally corners him. Then Scott Snyder comes out, attacks Goldberg with a crutch, and puts him in the Steiner recliner. Wow. It's, uh, I like the the promo from Brett. Like you said, dude, he's shooting. He's speaking from the heart. Like, you could just tell, man. There's, you know, I, I don't think Brett was a bad promo. A lot of people will say Brett wasn't a good interview. I think Brett was a good interview, but he was just always reserved, right? He was never like the big over the top, like Hulkamania, Hulk Hogan type deal. He just kept it like grounded and realistic, right? That's what mm-hmm. I liked about his promos. But you can see the passion coming out, man. Like, and like I said, you could just tell it's real, man. Like some, some of the stuff is whatever it's pro wrestling, but some of the stuff he's saying is real and it's from the heart. You can just feel all the, you know, the last basically three years of just frustration after frustration, setback after setback coming out of him, man. Um, you know, when Goldberg gets in the ring, he, he gets so upset that he starts stumbling over his words a little bit. At one point he's like, you know, you ended the best wrestler career ever, you know, and then he kind of just throws off. He's like, you know, whatever, you know, you know, the rest, <laughs> <laughs> he's so pissed off, man. Um, 
And, you know, we've never talked a lot about the Brett Goldberg beef on the show, man. I kind of, I do think Goldberg's gotten a raw deal on this. Obviously, Goldberg caused the injury, right? Like he was a little bit reckless on that, uh, that, that sidekick that he threw to Brett at their match at Starcade 99. But that concussion Brett got from that went undiagnosed. Brett actually wrestled, I want to say four or five more matches, man, mm-hmm. before his concussion got fully diagnosed. And, you know, if you follow the NFL, you know, you, you know, you're aware that when somebody has one concussion, it makes them super susceptible to getting another one um, very quickly, man. And, you know, my belief is that Brett's, you know, he had the big one against Goldberg. And then I think he suffered another two or three concussions over the next, you know, two to three weeks. And it just really did some serious damage. In that, and that's what ultimately made it to where he couldn't wrestle anymore. Um, and, I'm not a, you know, obviously I'm not a neurosurgeon or whatever, but I definitely think it contributed to him having that stroke in 2002. Um, so it's it, like you said, it's just kind of sad, man. Like I, I wish that the Montreal, I wish the whole Brett WCW run never happened dude. Yep. Like he, there were some cool moments when he came back and wrestled Chris Benoit on that Owen tribute show, which we obviously we can't really celebrate that now because Benoit was involved. And then um, I want to say it was shortly after that the WCW title was vacated and Brett won the tournament to win the belt. Those were those were cool. And the feud with Goldberg had some cool moments, but I really wish the Montreal screw job would have been just the end of Brett's career because that would have been the perfect ending for him. Just go out. You never they could never beat you. They had to take the belt from you. It was just this was just a sad ending to a sad period in Brett's career. And you guys all know how important Brett is to me, man. It, it, it really hurt my heart watching this, even though it is a pretty entertaining promo. Yeah, it, it is definitely sad seeing him like this because you can definitely tell he's not right even in this promo. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I kind of enjoyed it too just for the mere fact that this is raw, Brett. Like this is this is how he felt. And, um, I mean, wrestling kind of just screwed him over for a four-year period and this is just him unleashing all that. I mean, some people call it a crybaby. Like it'd be the same thing if like your, your work just screwed you over for the last four years, like yeah. told you you were getting a raise, told you you were doing this, told you you were doing that. And I mean, this, this is just a raw emotion that came out of it. Like I said, it is sad, but I honestly like this promo. I think it's pretty cool. And, um, I agree with you though, dude, Goldberg definitely got a raw deal out of this. Like he clearly was not trying to hurt him. Yeah. No. Goldberg was definitely reckless as a wrestler. And I think part of that is just, I don't know, just the way he works. I think I don't think it was meant to work. With I don't think everybody. he was fully. I don't think he was trained that well, and I think he was coached up to go out there and give that edge of realism. You know what I mean? He was. People always compared him to to Steve Austin just because of the look, the you know the bald head, black trunks with the goatee. But to me, he was always WCW's version of Ken Shamrock, right? Like just this unhinged, like dangerous person. That's who I always compared him to. Um, one thing I think would have made this segment a lot better. I don't think you needed the Scott Steiner involvement. I think if it would have just ended with Brett telling him off, then maybe Brett kind of just backing down or walking away from Goldberg at the end of it would have been better. It it seemed like it kind of cheapened it when Scott Steiner comes in and you got Brett just yelling at Scott Steiner like, you know, get him, Scotty. Get him, Scotty. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty. It does kill it a little bit at the end of it. But, I mean, they were setting up their match, so I get it. But, yeah, it would have been cool just to have – Maybe not even have Goldberg come out. Just have Bright just do his bullshit in the ring and then just kind of end it. I don't even think this really needed Goldberg, honestly. All right. We are to the main event, if that's what you want to call it. This is bad. This is really, really bad. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. 
So the last thing we're going to talk about is a world title tag match. You heard me right. This is for the world title, and it's a tag match. On April 26th of 2000, David Arquette and DDP, DDP who is the champion, wrestle Eric Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett. All right, so let's just start off with the fact that they're doing a tag match, and whoever gets the pin wins the belt. Whether that be DDP's teammate, Eric Bischoff, whoever, whoever gets the pin wins the belt. Um, DDP had just won the belt on Nitro three nights earlier. Uh, Kimberly is the ref in this match, who had just filed for divorce from DDP. The match quickly spills outside with DDP and Jarrett facing off and Arquette and Bischoff doing whatever the hell they're doing as they get to the back. Um, Kimberly refuses to count any pinfalls for DDP. Kimberly also rocking a whale tail that would make Lita proud. Um, (laughs) Arquette is in this match for, I didn't count it, but it was no more than one minute tops. Uh, He rolls in the ring, spears Bischoff, while Jarrett also hits DDP with the belt. Both guys go for a pin. Oh, mind you, Kimberly's in the corner nursing a nail injury. Both guys go for a pin, but the ref comes in, slides right past Jarrett going for a pin, and only counts for Arquette, and Arquette wins the belt, and this is the promotion for the movie Ready to Rumble. Uh, What the fuck? That's really all 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 they got. Yeah, this was done to promote Ready to Rumble. Fun movie. That that movie is decent, I right? Like movie. I feel like it gets a lot of bad name with wrestling fans just because it's uh it's it's just kind of tied in with this moment in wrestling. And you can go back if uh you know, go back in the archives, check out the Pod Warriors, go to Hollywood. Uh we talk in detail about it. But yeah, Ready to Rumble is fun. Two, uh, you know, you mentioned Kimberly being being guest ref in this. Go back and watch 40 year old version. I never, I didn't realize this till years after I originally saw this. Which you know, Forty Year Old Virgin and Goodfellas. That's my two favorite movies ever. The speed dating scene. Yep. There's a uh, a female whose breast pops out of her t shirt. You see full nippleage and everything. That's actually Kimberly from WCW fame. So I didn't recognize her first when I was watching it. But another fun fact for you guys: great movie and a bonus, really good tit scene there. Um, but yeah, finally, fucking. Dewey Riley from the fucking Scream franchise wins, you know, the most prestigious championship in professional wrestling. Like, just disgraceful, man. That's all you can say, dude. Like, of all the celebrity stunts that have ever been done in wrestling, this is by far the worst. This wasn't even the only time he won the belt either is the worst part. Like, dude, he won the triple cage match, too. <laughs> yeah, no lie, man. Like, it's just, like, it's crazy, dude. Like, I don't know. Uh, again, just the, oh it cannot be said enough how bad the creative got for WCW. I, th- I was leaving this to last no matter what, just because of the mere fact of how asinine this is that they did this. And, like, I get it. Ready to Rumble, they needed to make money off that movie. They had almost all of the WCW roster in that movie. I completely understand it. But what the fuck are you thinking, dude? Like like you said, this is the most prestigious title in wrestling at this point. Probably the only one that probably even had a a run at it other than this would be the NWA world title, but I think at this time the WC or the world title was was by far the most prestigious. But here's the problem. So, we just discussed three world title matches. They were all in the same year and they were all within 4 months of each other. And every one of them ended with with a new champion. And, and they were all on Thunder also. Yeah. So, okay, th- that's a problem right there in itself. 
Not one of these seemed like a big moment. The crowd did not pop for any of these. Like the Sid one probably got the the best reaction, but that's not really saying much. The Kevin Nash one, they were throwing shit at the ring after the match, the one that he won. So not good either. Like the whole, all three of these are not good. Let's just call it for what it is. Three title matches, all of them are shit. This is obviously the shittiest of the three, but dude, why is this necessary? I just, I don't get it, man. It's sad. And like I said, the fact that they did it in a tag match and DDP is just okay with losing his belt. Like, what the fuck, dude? I don't get it. You could have just had him be in the the mix, man. Get a pinfall victory over somebody. There's no need to put the belt on him and just take a shit on all your hardcore fans. Yeah. This is bad. This is definitely uh, something that leaves a sour taste for Thunder. Um, So I guess let's go into what we what our overall thoughts are of Thunder with with the nostalgia glasses on and with. Hold up! I got I got I got two more. I got I got two footnotes, man. I want to throw in. So one one moment I wanted to throw in that was probably my favorite from WCW happened or WCW Thunder happened on the first episode. Remember we heard Sting speak for the first time oh, in yeah. about a year and a half, man. It was the, uh, the hook to get people to watch the first episode of Thunder is we were going to get the resolution from kind of the fuck finish we had, um, from the match at Starkey 97 Sting versus Hollywood Hogan and then their rematch on Nitro and JJ Dillon decided to strip Sting of the belt and they were going to do a, a ma- another match with him and Hogan at Super Brawl and Sting uh, turns to JJ Dillon grabs the mic first time we've heard this guy speak since the middle of 1996 and he says you know you you're a coward and then he turns to Hulk Hogan and says and you you're a dead man and I just remember being like oh my god this is fucking awesome <laughs> And little did we know, it was not awesome. <laughs> no, nah, it definitely wasn't, man. It ended up being a mess. The match at Stark at Super Bowl actually ended up being probably um, probably the best of the Hogan trilogy. But at that point, it was just like, what are we doing here? Like that, the match they had at Super Bowl is what they should have had at Starcade. Um, it's really crazy how bad they botched that whole angle after one of the best builds in wrestling history. Okay, what do you got for your other footnote there, bud? AJ Styles, the phenomenal AJ Styles, legend, first ballot Hall of Famer in any wrestling Hall of Fame in the world. His first televised match happened in um, WCW on Thunder when him and Air Paris took on Jamie Noble and Evan Courageous. So this was on the outside barely looking in just because I'd come up with the original seven and if anything was going to take it off, I just couldn't find anything that I wanted to take off here just because I wanted to talk about these seven moments. This was definitely up there just because of how much uh, AJ Styles has meant to wrestling. Yeah, it wasn't a huge moment by any means. Um, And I didn't even know this. I was doing research for this show, but it's a pretty cool historical footnote. Um, You know, wrapping it up, dude, like I said, the the thought of Thunder when I first heard it, I was I was cool with it. I was excited. So I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say that I called it. It was going to be a disaster from the start, but it definitely turned into a disaster pretty quickly. Like, again, if you had asked me to recall my favorite moments from from Thunder before we started doing research on this, I'd probably have Sting speaking. And that's about it, dude. Like I said, the rest of these, man, like there was some stuff I remember. I remember David Arquette winning the belt and everything like that. But most of the cool stuff that happened on Thunder wasn't cool enough for me to, you know, 
scratch out the mental bandwidth to remember that it actually happened on Thunder. It didn't just happen on on Nitro or some other WCW show, you know? Yeah, I, I get it. I, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, I'm still going to go pretty high on this for like the nostalgia because I, I just remember being thoroughly entertained by this when I was 13 years old, you know? Um, but as time has went on, obviously it's gotten worse. Um, so yeah, I think if I was going with my nostalgia rating, I'd probably go, I don't know, probably like a seven, seven and a half, just cause I, I did enjoy watching this. And like I said, it was never another outlet to watch wrestling. So I couldn't complain too much. Now watching it back without the rose colored glasses on, I'd probably go closer to a four. Um, yeah. IMDB has has Thunder overall as a 6.5. I think that's way okay. too high. Yeah, um, probably. I do. One thing that I think is also age well, I love all the logos and like the color scheme, right? Like the all blue and gray color scheme and stuff. It's when I look back at it, it was always a nice looking show, you know, regardless of what was actually happening in the ring and stuff. Like it always looked nice and I appreciate the vibe of it. Like if they release some, you know, a w, if, if Mattel dropped a WCW Thunder, like Ultimate Edition ring, I'd be all over that, man. I'd, I'd buy some Thunder, like a Thunder snapback or some Thunder t-shirts. Like I like the vibe of Thunder. It was just the, the in-ring creative content often, you know, left a lot to be desired. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, the look of it. I even liked the the um, music we played at the beginning of this, the first Thunder theme. I even thought that was yeah. kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of some moments that you're going to go back and possibly watch, this is pretty awful wrestling, if we're being honest, especially 2000 and 2001. Those are just not good years for WCW, period. And Yeah, they weren't good, and it seemed like they saved the worst for Thunder. Yeah, it uh, sucks, man, but... Is what it is, but it's still fun to talk about it, man. It's it's fun to go back because you got to talk about the shitty stuff just as much. You got to talk about the good stuff because it's part of wrestling history. So it's still fun to talk about. Oh yeah, for sure. So in addition to putting together a list of the top moments, we also looked at some of the best um, Thunder merch. There's not a whole lot out there, man. Like they never had a dedicated figure line. It's not a lot of stuff floating around on eBay. There's a pretty cool crew shirt right now. Um, if you look it up, it's got a lot of autographs on it. And this is June. Uh, what is it say, man? The 14th. Yeah, this is June 14th, 2023. As we're recording this, you know, Pot Foundation is always evergreen. But I want to give you guys a timestamp for what we're looking at as it's out. There was the video game, though, man, the PlayStation video game. Did you the WCW Thunder? Did you have this one as a kid, Jordan? I actually still have this in my basement somewhere. So, yeah, I have nice. it. I enjoyed it, man. It was totally different from uh, the, the weird thing about how WCW did their games. They had one licensing deal on developer for PlayStation, which I like those games. I never minded Nitro and Thunder. I thought they were I had fun with them. Like, I, I like the graphics and stuff on them. Uh, but then they had a separate developer for uh, N64 with THQ and those games were just absolutely legendary. Um, so, and we got a whole episode on those also, if you want to go to the archives, but I don't know, how, how did you like the Nitro and Thunder series on PlayStation, Jordan? I thought it was cool. I mean, like you said, it was just completely different than anything else that we had seen before. Um, probably not as cool now as it was then. These definitely aren't going to age as well as the N64 games. No. Um, but I mean, they're still cool. Like, this was a turning point in wrestling games for us. I mean, 
they all had like uh, they all said something or you you heard their, on the menu screen. Yeah, yeah, they would talk shit to you to get you to pick them. Yeah, I mean it was pretty cool. So yeah, I mean I, I have fond memories of this game. Like I said, I still have it in the basement. So. Yeah, I like these games, and it was just cool that they gave us different games, man. Like, how crazy is that? You would never see something like that nowadays, but it wasn't just straight ports. We had actual different games depending on what system you had. So if you got if you have a PlayStation 1 or if you got a good emulator out there, um, go out and pick up WCW Thunder, and it, it's worth an afternoon of fun. Um, let's see here. So another thing going, going uh, kind of topical, which we usually don't do, uh, one of the main inspirations for this show is the fact that AEW Collision is debuting this Saturday, and there's been a lot of parallels drawn between when Nitro dropped Thunder and now AEW uh, branching out to Collision, a second primetime show. This isn't like Rampage where it's on late night Friday and you know it's more akin to like Sunday Night Heat than anything else. This is supposed to be another primetime show. And Dynamite's doing fine, but it hasn't grown a lot from when it initially debuted in 2019. They're kind of just holding their core audience. So it's definitely a little bit shaky, man, um, with, with this launch. What, what's your kind of thoughts and where, how do you see this, uh, this collision drop going, Jordan? Um, so I think this first episode is going to tell us a lot about how this is going to do. Because if this doesn't draw major ratings this Saturday, which... I mean, I'm expecting it to draw pretty damn good ratings, aren't you? Yeah, CM Punk's coming back. Dude, the, Dude does numbers. The NBA Finals are over. The Stanley Cup Finals are over. Like, there's nothing sports-wise that, other than the College World Series, which that's college sports, so it only draws a certain audience. This should do really well, and if it does not do really well, I do not have high hopes for collision lasting very long. Um Saturday night, dude. That is a bold decision. That is, I mean, summertime too, man. This is when people are outside doing things. Like, I think the first episode is going to draw a number, right? Because it it's the debut of this. People want to see what it's going to look like, and we're getting CM Punk for the first time and. Basically a year, dude. But my concern is it really just comes down to the time slot and the time of year it's launching, dude. Saturday night at what is, is going to be seven o'clock? Is that seven, what time it's launching? Central, Central? Yeah. yeah, Saturday night at seven o'clock, dude. Like that's when people are doing stuff. It's hard enough to remember to watch SmackDown on Friday nights, dude. But now we got Saturday night at seven o'clock. Um, you know, and dude, here's the other thing, man. They were only a couple months away from college football starting, dude. College baseball is one thing. College football is a whole different beast, man. Like, I just, I don't know, dude. I I, I think AEW could do a second show because they have a loaded roster. There's not enough TV time to go around to everybody now. But I'm just very, very, I, I, I feel like they're being sent out to die, dude, with that time slot. Okay, so here is my argument against that. We have been saying for how long now that we would love for pay-per-views to be on Saturday night. It's easy to watch them on Saturday night, stuff like that. I know this is a weekly show, but I don't know, man, there's a lot of wrestling dudes that don't do a whole lot on the weekend. So maybe a Saturday night time. <laughs> plot. And I'm not, I, I'm not judging anyone's life. I'm just saying like, no, I got dude. And I mean, a lot of times during summer, like we hang out at the house on Saturday nights. So, I mean, I'm going to watch True. this live a fair share of times this summer. I'm not yeah, saying I'm going to this on where you're knocking a few back, just chilling out on a Saturday night. Yeah. I mean, this is a perfect patio watch, like have a couple drinks out on the patio, watch some wrestling. It's on for two hours. By the time it gets over, it's only nine o'clock central. It's not like you're really wasting your whole night on this. I'm going to try to support this as much as I can because dude, 
I don't want AEW to die, first of all. And the more yeah. wrestling we can get on a weekly basis. And like we said, dude, the roster is so bloated for AEW. So I'm hopeful that this gets more people television time because that's one of my biggest pet peeves with Dynamite right now is I feel like they try to jam so much shit into two hours. And not that I ever wanted them to go to three hours, but dude, they're doing a lot in a two hour time slot. There's not a whole lot of, I'll give AEW a lot of credit. They don't do a ton of talking segments. It's a lot of wrestling. Nothing really has a chance to breathe on Dynamite. It's like, it's literally like one segment ends and bam, next thing happens. Whereas, you know, WCW or WWE, they'll give you like some recaps and just a little bit more, more dead time, filler time, which that has its downside too. Um, Dude, I'm rooting for it to succeed also, right? More wrestling is always a better thing. Uh, But one point I'll counter you on, dude. You said, you know, Saturday nights are kind of cool for wrestling. What about once a month? You know, WWE has moved to Saturdays exclusively for their pay-per-views, man. So, like, you know, we got SummerSlam coming up, uh, you know, first weekend in August, dude. You don't think that's going to absolutely demolish AEW that night? It will. But I I honestly think they've taken that into account. Like, I I think they know that – when it hits football season, they're going to get demolished every Saturday night. Maybe, right. And maybe they have a plan for that. I don't know. And th- now they're not running this live every week, right? The, they're going to start out live for the first couple of months. And then it sounds like it's going to go to taped eventually. Correct. I was under the impression it was going to be live, man. I mm. thought it was going to be basically like the counterpoint to like a SmackDown is to raw. That's how collision was going to be to dynamite. I could be wrong on that, man, but I was under the impression it was going to be alive. Like you said, man, you know, Saturday, you know, Saturday evening, that is low stakes. So I can't imagine there's going to be a ton of pressure from TNT for them to do big numbers, but you don't want to be putting on like, you know, fucking CM Punk versus Kenny Omega or some shit like that. And it's just, you know, a fart in the wind as far as, as far as ratings go, even though we know ratings aren't as important as they used to be. There's still a good metric just to let you know how much interest there is in your show. Maybe they're doing some of this for live audience too, then if this is going to be a live show, because dude, a lot of parents have young kids and taking them to a Wednesday night show that lasts till after 10 o'clock and then getting your kids down when you finally get home. I mean, it's a lot for a weeknight, a especially a school night. Dude, a Saturday night show, you're telling me if that comes within an hour of you, you're not going to go check that out on a Saturday night and take Brett to go watch that? I think you oh, will. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I think maybe that's what they're shooting for is maybe the live audience aspect of it because I feel like their live crowds have kind of um, taken a step back. I feel like they're not drawing as much live audience, which it's a Wednesday night. I get it. Um, but I feel like doing a Saturday night show, you should be able to draw some crowds on Saturday nights. Yeah, it would be interesting. Like I said, we're all rooting for him here, man. <laughs> I hope nothing but the best. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a big storyline over the summer, seeing exactly how this fares. Um, you ready to get into some listener mail, man, before we take this thing home? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so obviously Sam, bro, you know, he's always coming through with some awesome questions for us. So I think he had the... Uh, the same preconception that we had, man, that Glacier was a big part of the debut of Nitro, even though he, or Thunder, even though he wasn't. He says, do you guys think Glacier would have been a successful gimmick if he was debuted two years earlier? Also, I think they teased him for like five months. So, yeah, I, obviously he was inspired by Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. And by the time he made his debut, the Mortal Kombat craze had kind of petered out a little bit. Uh, what, what do you think, man? How do you think Glacier would have done if he came out right when Mortal Kombat was still red hot? So Mortal Kombat was released, I think, in 95, if I remember right. And then Glacier debuted in 96. Mm, 
No, I th- I think the five month lead time to him debuting killed it. I really do. Yeah. I just I think they really screwed the pooch on that. I, I get what they were trying to do, do a build for the guy. Here's the problem though: when you build someone up like that, they better come out and be like on fire the minute they hit the main roster. And uh, hate to tell you, pal, Glacier was not on fire when he hit the main roster. I think between the time they conceptualized this idea, found somebody to play the part, got everything ready for it and rolled it out. By that time, the NWO was also happening and it was just hard to kind of have these two things on the same show. You got this ultra realistic, gritty NWO angle along with these guys who came out of another fucking dimension between Glacier and Mortis and Wrath. And even though it's cool to look back on, man, it it just kind of doomed to fail from the start. Uh, Sambro says, what was your favorite year of Nitro? I'm rewatching Nitro from 96 when Scott Hall came out and I just finished Fall Brawl and I'm absolutely loving it. Oh, this is an easy one for me. 1998, dude. This to me is still the biggest match they've ever had on weekly TV. So this automatically takes the year. Uh, Hogan and Goldberg on Monday Nitro for the belt in the Georgia Dome. That year of, of Nitro is just really special to me too. Um, Dude, Goldberg was absolutely on fire, too, at this point. So Nitro was a weekly watch for me to see what Goldberg would do, see if he'd keep the streak alive. So, yeah, I'll go 98. You know, that ties in, man. The uh, Goldberg-Hollywood-Hogan match, that wasn't even announced until the Thunder the Thursday before when J.J. Dillon just came out and just dropped it out of nowhere that the main event Monday night was going to be Hogan and Goldberg. And look how awesome it was. All right, what is your number one figure you'd like made from WCW from the 96 to 2000 time period? Oh, it's Glacier 100% for me. I know Seth just got a custom done, but I'm pretty sure Seth would still not turn down an (laughs) actual Glacier figure by Mattel. If I didn't have our buddy Ivan's custom figgies, awesome customizer, Ivan Milanovic, also loyal Foley fan member. If I didn't have that, Glacier would be my answer. Since I got Glacier, though, I'll go with uh, with Mortis because as, as goofy as the gimmicks were, super, super toyetic. And it'd be awesome to have elites of either one of those two guys. I got some runners up, too. I'll go uh, Psychosis and Juventud Guerrero as well. I think, juice. I think both of those would be absolutely awesome to get in figure form by Mattel. I want LaParka also, man. Oh. I really want a LaParka figure. I love LaParka. Dude, the problem with him is like he's still around and still doing stuff, so it'd be really hard for them to get the rights to him right now, I think. Yeah, and he's for whatever reason, man, I mean, I assume it's something to do with money. He I've I've read that he is super squirrely about his like character rights and stuff, man. Like it's really hard to get him like on the dotted line to uh to do any kind of merch. I'm an idiot. Uh, what did you guys I, think we're, of the We're both idiots. Lepark, the real Lepark had died in 2020. Right, but there's a new guy. Well, so the guy, but all right. <laughs> we'll we'll go down this rabbit hole, dude. So the guy that so he wasn't necessarily the real Laparca, dude. So there was a dispute over the name, right? I guess he was the real Laparca, right? So there there was like there was a Laparca, like the real Laparca, and then there was this guy that started wrestling in WCW who also used the name Laparca. They had a big dispute about it. The real Laparca got to keep the Laparca name, and the guy we know in WCW he competes nowadays as L.A. Park. Yep. That's his name nowadays, man. So he doesn't go by Laparca anymore. But the guy from WCW is still alive. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a convoluted mess. Maybe that's why he's so touchy with his rights and stuff, dude. Because it was just such a uh, such a headache dealing with all that. 
Uh, what did you guys think of the Dungeon of Doom? I remember as a kid thinking Kevin, Kevin Sullivan was someone's grandpa that escaped from a nursing home and took on a wrestling career. <laughs> so I love the Dungeon of Doom. I thought it was it was really cool when uh, when it came out. Um, <laughs> talk about a bunch of off the wall people in a group, though. Like, good God. Um, I, I mean, dude, seeing the shark in a in a faction was really something. Wasn't the Yeti in it at one point too? Yeah, the Yeti, the giant, the giant. Kamala, the, the shark, the barbarian. The Zeus was in it as Z Gangsta. Yeah, it was a fucking wild cast of characters for sure. I like it again. It's crazy to think that you know from the goofy WC uh, Dungeon of Doom stuff they were doing with the cave and the waterfall. You know, eight months later, the NWO was on board. But yeah, I love I love the Dungeon of Doom. If they came out with the Dungeon of Doom series of figures, I'd be all over it. Agreed. What was your favorite belt from WCW in 1996 to 2000? Uh, I'm going to go with the U.S. title. I think that was one of the cleanest looking belts of the 90s, honestly. I just the the flag right over on the top of it, right in the middle. It just I thought it was such a clean look for a title belt. Yeah, same. Really, really nice belt. Brett held it. You know, Ric Flair held it a bunch. I, I love that title. Yeah, no complaints. What was your favorite era of WCW? I hated anything early 90s, but was introduced to wrestling in 96 as a six-year-old doing crotch chops and flipping birds. I'd say 89, 90, 91, man. I love I loved that super late 80s, early 90s WCW. Mine's definitely the Monday Night Wars era. I just, that 96 to... Probably end of 98 run was just, it was magical for me for WCW. And that was, that was my weekly watch. Like, yeah, I watched Raw, but Nitro was like, I had to tune in and watch it every week. Sambro says, who is your favorite wrestler in WCW? For me, it's Sting. Yeah, Sting. Scott Hall is probably my favorite that was there, but I put him on like a combo platter, like WCW, WWE. Like to me, Scott Hall and Razor Ramon are kind of like, 50 50 in my eyes like equal so if i'm thinking favorite wcw wrestler definitely sting uh sam rosenthal says did you yeah we talked about our some of our favorite thunder matches he also asked did you ever attend a thunder taping i didn't i went to nitro i went to wcw saturday night but i never went to thunder i did not either i thought i had i thought there was one in omaha the closest it came to me which was lincoln which was only 45 minutes away but i was in high school at that point and i was probably doing something else on that Thursday night. So no, I did not. Sambro says, do y'all remember Jim powers? I remember, I thought he was going to be awesome. Uh, I remember Jim powers being around. Can never say I thought he was going to be awesome. He was always kind of just there. Yeah. Same. I didn't, I don't really remember much of him. Didn't Sam Rosenthal ask what our favorite thunder match was too. Yes. yes, You got a favorite. Yeah, Ray Mysterio versus Juventud Guerrero for the cruiserweight title. I'm pretty sure this is like the second or third episode of Thunder, if I remember right. But I just remember that match being killer. I don't even really got a favorite Thunder match, dude. I guess I'd go with... David Arquette one? Yeah, David Arquette one, just because it was the most historically significant, man. Uh, Tony Barker asked, what were your thoughts on the WCW Thunder video game? We talked about that. It says, in your opinion, what could have made Thunder a bigger success? Would you entertain a roster split, more main event matches, or what ideas would you implement? Uh, fire Vince Russo. That would be, <laughs> yeah. that would have been uh, objective number one. Like I said, dude, Thunder definitely, they had enough wrestling talent on the roster at this point to, to make Thunder a viable option. So, I just think it was who ran it, dude. I, I think they ran it into the ground because Vince Russo was an idiot and had no idea what he was doing. And 
yeah, it's not good. Let's I right, so Tony Barker says if you could put out an elite line of all ninety nine to two thousand WCW figures, which ones would you choose? So let's do you can do three and I can do three, man. We we can alternate, dude, on uh ninety nine to two thousand WCW. So I'm gonna go just because I don't think we're ever gonna get these people. I'm going to go with a couple members from uh, Raven's Flock. So I'll start with Lodi. Was Lodi still around in 99, though? Ooh, oh, I yeah, think he he's one like 99. late era WCW, man, like the Thunder Glory days, dude. Oof. Think on it. I'll, I want Jeff Jarrett, dude. I want an elite of Jeff Jarrett with the flat top, the guitar, and the slap nut shirt. Yeah, that's a good one. Fuck, I didn't even think of that. Um, oh, no, well, since I already mentioned it in my other ones and they were honorable mentions, Hooventude will be my first one. Psychosis will be my second one. Okay. Both those guys were around. Hey, I know this is a controversial pick, but I feel like we need him in the collection, dude. Vince Russo. Oh Vince Russo God. with the fucking Yankees jacket, dude. Tell me you wouldn't get a Vince Russo figure. They put out Vince Russo with a mic and the fucking, uh, the, the Yankees jacket, dude. You wouldn't get that? I mean, I would, but I wouldn't be thrilled about it. Yeah, that would be that. That's my second pick, and my third pick. Give me a Goldberg for the chase. Give me Goldberg in street clothes, man. Like I feel like Goldberg. A lot of his later era memorable moments in WCW were in like street gear, like out of the ring type type stuff. So give me give me some version of Goldberg in street gear. Hmm, that's a good one. I'm gonna go. <sighs> Can't use Chris Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> he could be the chase you'd really have to find him hanging oh my god dude <laughs> i'm glad this was an hour and 15 minutes into the show uh i'll go for my last one you know what i think we need another uh or no i'll go horace hogan just because i don't think we're horace is gonna... cool yeah i i liked him I, I was between him or brian adams honestly for my last one um, yeah, both I, good picks. But I just I, I think we have to get people that we haven't gotten before. If you're going to do a line like this, like we need first time in the lines for all these. I feel like Sam Rosenthal says not a question, but I hope we get an ECW on TNN Pod Warriors. Who didn't watch that at three oh. a.m.? That's a that's a deep cut even for us, dude. I'd have to really go back. I I was not in on that from the jump. I'd have to really go back and dig in to be able to. To put to you know be able to talk enough uh, about that show. All right, I'll tell you what, Sam. I'll put it on the list, and uh, I'll have to give Seth a month lead time if we're going to do this, and then uh, we'll go from there. It's not a no, but it's definitely a a hard maybe. <laughs> Matt Carlos says, "Do you look back at Thunder and have good or bad memories?" We kind of already answered that, but I want to share his thoughts. He says, "I know Thunder is what spread WCW too thin, but as a 12 year old, I love getting to watch the undercard. At the time, I didn't even realize they were using more B talent. I found memories of watching Eddie Kidman, the Crippler, headbutt off the cage, even Disco. I have good matches. Maybe it's just nostalgic color glasses, but I remembered it as a fun show. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of had pretty much the same sentiments. Like, even though there was." a lot of crappy stuff there. When we look back on it, it's always a positive. Like I don't look back at thunder and I'm like, man, that sucked. I look back at thunder. Just think about how excited I was, um, that it was even going to be a thing. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Zach Herzler says, if you could bring back any WCW title, what would it be? Dude? Like, 
I guess I'll go belt design and say that U.S. belt. I don't think we necessarily need to bring any titles back. The one that comes to mind is the cruiserweight, but I feel like with the way the wrestling industry has changed, the way even the big guys work, I feel like a cruiserweight-specific championship is kind of dead. You know, WWE brought it back in 2016 and kept it going until about 2020, and it had some success, but it's just the, the cruiserweights aren't different enough from the heavyweights to even make it worthwhile anymore. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too is – would a cruiserweight belt even work with the current state of wrestling? And I'm going to agree with you and say no. If we're just going to go belt design, can WWE please change their tag belts to the WCW tag belts? I loved those belts. Yeah, those are nice. I wouldn't. I would not mind that. That's the only belt we're waiting to get a, a revision on. Everything else has been, you know, redone within the last last one or two years. Now. I can't wait to get those uh, the tag belts for Raw that just look like a world title with a WWE globe in the middle and then like in small lettering underneath say tag titles. <laughs> they might do that, dude. Why you're bullshitting. I, I would not be shocked if they did that just to keep it uniform. But, you know, we get the US and IC titles have unique designs, so maybe they'll, they'll, they'll do something special for the tag belts. But yeah, you, you you just kind of laid out the darkest timeline there. That thought hadn't even crossed my mind until you mentioned it. Now it's kind of all I can see with, with updated tag belts. It ain't going to be good when it happens. Hopefully, I'm hoping they just keep it as one tag title, though. Like, since they've unified them now, like, don't give us two different. Just give us one set of tag belts, and the tag the tag champs can kind of kind of balance back and forth between different shows, man. I uh, But, yeah, they definitely got to do something. The tag belts are our last ones that don't have custom side plates on them, so you know they're waiting to cash in on that. Can't wait. And then Zach, we already answered his question. He asked which WCW wrestler would we have liked to figure out that had never gotten released. So yeah, thank you guys for all the awesome questions. Spark a little bit of discussion here at the end. I I can also say I'm surprised that there was this much interest generated from a uh, a WCW Thunder episode. So appreciate the support. We told you guys before we are continually humbled um, at all the uh, the listeners that decide to give some time. There's literally you know, hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. You can find a podcast for any, whatever the tiniest niche of an interest that you have, you could find it. Uh, so the fact that so many of you guys decide to give some, uh, you know, give some time up for your ear holes to listen to us each week. Uh, we appreciate it. And we never take it for granted. We want to keep giving you guys the content you're looking for. So with that in mind, please drop us a line. If you got an idea of something you want me and Jordan to talk about on pod warriors. Again, this is different from the chick Foley show where we're kind of just talking week to week wrestling action, we are going to go deep on whatever random topic. And if you just go back through the archives, through the shows we've done so far, there's really nothing off limits with us. Um, this was a fun one. Remember use code chick Foley to save 10% at ringside collectibles, find links to all things chick Foley at WWE, WWE, man, I've really got wrestling <laughs> on the brain. www.chickfoley.com. And uh, Jordan hit us with some closing thoughts where we let Garth play us out this week. So my closing thoughts this week are whenever you're thinking, is this an asshole move or is this something I shouldn't do? Just think to yourself, would Vince Russo do it? And then you have the answer to your question. in the morning not a soul in sight the city's looking like a ghost town on a moonless summer night the raindrops on the windshield there's a storm moving in he's heading back from somewhere that he never should have been 
and the thunder roll and the thunder roll